Uh, one ticket for And Why Not, please. podcast and the nerds who haunted themselves and welcome especially to this final part of our 90s comic book movie mini-series uh, which in previous episodes have seen us discuss the shadow dick tracy the phantom the rocketeer and teenage mutant ninja turtles uh, all of which are still available to listen to if you just check back in our feed um but yeah to bring this mini-series to the close i was joined by my fellow haunted nerd andy hanks to talk about 1994's the crow um yeah, as you'll hear when you listen to this movie that we were both big fans of in our younger, gothier, heady, angsty teens, early 20s days. Um, yeah, so that really wraps it up for this intro. So without further ado, let's roll the trailer. Devil's Night is upon us again. So we throw a little party, start a bunch of fires. I got a goddamn vigilante killer knocking off scumbags left and right. Oh, you're directly out of your fucking mind! Is that gasoline I smell? I got trouble. One of my crew got himself perished. Somebody stuck his blades in all his major organs in alphabetical order. He was already dead. He died a year ago. The moment he touched her. They're all dead. I just don't know yet. Jumped out a fourth floor window like he had wings. Are you some kind of ghost? The crow is his link between the land of the living and the realm of the dead. He has power, but it is power you can take from him. Fuck, I'm dead! They're gonna race your sorry ass! There ain't no coming back. We killed you dead! There ain't no coming back! <laughs> Hello, Andy. How are you? <clears throat> Hello, mate. I'm very good. How are you? I'm I'm good. This is weird doing this in a non-nerds capacity. It is, isn't it? I keep forgetting. Yeah. So I'm actually a guest on this one. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Very odd, but but yeah, I uh, I've been looking forward to this one. It's quite nice. It's been quite good fun this series going back through. So it's quite nice to end with you. So this this is this the last one, is it? This is the last one of this mini series. Yeah. And then, yeah, go back to the usual random picks of films based on what guests select and that sort of thing. So, 
but yeah. but yeah so yeah so this isn't a regular nerds who haunted themselves nope uh, we will get back to those eventually but it's just i've had stuff going on and you've been bogged down with uh commissions and the like so absolutely so you know best reasons not <laughs> but yeah so but yeah we are talking about the crow the 1994 film written by david s shaw and john shirley based on characters created by james o'barr directed by alex proyas and starring brandon lee as eric draven michael wincott's top dollar and then ernie hudson uh rochelle davis uh by ling uh, michael massey and tony todd among others um it was released in cinemas the 13th of may 1994 in the us and the 10th of june 1994 over here so it wasn't a massive release gap like some of the films have had uh grossed uh 50,693,128 worldwide on an estimated budget of 23 million according to imdb and roger ebert gave the film three and a half stars out of four saying the story exists as an excuse for the production values of the film uh which are superb the director and his technical team have created a world that will remind you of the forlorn urban wasteland in blade runner and the gothic extravagances in batman Yet this world, uh, this world is grungier and more foreboding than ever, than either. Um, yes, yes, so Blade Runner, really? That yeah. I suppose it's that okay. wet street level thing, isn't it? Oh yeah, about as far as I'd say, I can see the I can see the Batman, the um, Tim Burton Batman connection, maybe. But, yeah. yeah, I think yeah, like I said, I think the Blade Runner is more like the street level stuff kind of thing it is that wet run down in the middle thing, of the night it? kind of yeah maybe yeah okay i got that the film spawned three sequels uh city of angels salvation and wicked prayer and a tv series uh stairway to heaven um and like i say started life as a comic book as all these ones did but yeah um this one and last week's totals are the only ones that led to sequels so far oh, right. today anyway so yeah the, the rocketeer did have a disney junior kids tv series um but yeah so anyway so the crow uh yes. i discovered the crow through you i think i actually okay. saw the, the second crow film first mm. which kind of put me off wanting to watch the first one in a weird way because yeah. i didn't enjoy the second one partly because it involves the murder of a small child <laughs> yes it does yeah which which is always a trigger for me and partly because it just wasn't that good um i mean it was fine but having seen the crow you can pretty much realize that it's exactly the same movie um but yeah so where was it for you with the crow because i was aware so, of it in 94 i don't know about you yeah um well so no i i was aware i it was a person i used to go to college with um very, very goth kind of you know that kind of thing very um uh like you know imagine 18 year old teenage goth when we were a kid you know all black and makeup and all that and uh, she used to go on about it and i think she wore a t-shirt one day and i asked about it so she uh lent me the video and right straight from there i just got absolutely hooked because i thought oh, this is a really cool thing to like yeah and um so yeah, and um, I read the comic. You know, I managed to get some of the James O'Barr graphic novels and read those to death. And, um, and yeah, I was just completely into it. I loved it. I mean, I probably watched it 
maybe a couple of times a week at one point when I was at college, over and over and over again, um, and completely embraced it. You know, what, a leather jacket? What, yes, I did. And as you know, I did own a angle-length leather jacket, which I wore for a few years back in my college and university days. Um, I turned up for my job interview, my current job of it. <laughs> True story, honestly. I suppose um, that kind of fits the uh, arty graphic designer look, though, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, if you'd have had yeah, the full crow makeup, it might have been a different story. But... Yeah, that, they probably have got sent away. Honestly. The sad thing now, though, is they probably thought, oh, he likes the Matrix. He must be good with yeah, computers. Yeah, I did. Absolutely. It was, we're talking late ni- late 90s. So, yes, the Matrix was out. And I did have a Matrix map, which I used to absolutely hate. And I used to um, absolutely try to correct the one anytime I could. It would have been late you know, in the early 2000s, because you were still in 99. Argos when 9-11 happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would have been. Sorry, because I wouldn't have. I went to I bought it at university. I went to university at 2000. I, I only remember that because I came in to see you after I'd been to watch Scary Movie 2 and you told me that yeah. a plane had hit the World Trade Center. And I was like, what, like a little yeah. one? Like, yeah, I started, so I thought no more of it. <laughs> yeah, I started my work, my job uh, in um, February 2002. When we were coming to do this, because I thought you were mm-hmm. the obvious choice for The Crow and then you were like, I haven't actually watched it in years, though. So you, you've come back to it after all this time. Yeah. How was it re-watching it with well, eyes? Not the original, you what, but you know what I mean. <laughs> the one thing that hit me, um, rewatching it, is it's so serious. There's absolutely not a glimpse of humour in it at all. I don't know. I disagree with that. Oh no! I, I, so it takes itself so seriously. You know, um, apart from a couple of, I mean, there's, it's not none of it is playful laughs. I mean, there's a couple of like maybe a couple of jokey bits. Between is, the actors, but nothing is, for the for the custard to the viewers to, to laugh at. I don't know. I think like the, I've wrote in my rewatch notes that there's wonderful moments of lightness in it, like Ernie Hudson in his boxers and his t-shirt, but still with his hat on. Oh yeah, and um, and Eric goes, "Oh, you're still wearing your hat." And that but, whole exchange yeah. between them, which given what comes after, which is where he tells him what happened to Shelley after Eric had died. Hmm. I think there's that, and you've got that fake great like exchange between them that ends with the well, at least he didn't do that walking against the wind shit. Yeah, but again, I don't think it doesn't lighten the mood in the slightest. You know, for me, it didn't. It just takes itself so seriously all the way through. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's especially the scenes where you've got him playing, the, you know, the being like the moody teenager playing the electric guitar up on the roof, you know, and then smashing his amp up. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, but... I, I, I did write down that um, uh, this might be one of the most 90s movies of all of the 90s. It's like, it's like yes, if Grunge yeah. was a horror movie and the bogeyman was the good guy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but I did enjoy it far more than I thought I would. That's cool. Yeah, I, um, I also, again. I also remembered it a lot more. I mean, I could literally quote it as it was going on still, which was quite nice. Yeah, I had a similar thing when I rewatched it because I rewatched it again this year. Part of the thing that kicked off this whole idea for doing this series it was a sort of an interest in revisiting those movies. But, but yeah, no, I like I said, I thought there were some quite nice moments of lightness in it. 
I think it could have been a lot darker and dour than it it was. I think yeah. a lot of it is in Brandon Lee's performance. Yeah. Like I say, it's um, I mean, it's very, for want of a better term, emo. You can see why a certain demographic of goths and emos sort of connected with it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think okay. probably Ernie Hudson's, for want of a better term, the comedic relief. He is to a certain effect, but he's also, I mean, he's also the the kind of the um, the father figure in it as well, isn't he? Yeah, like I say, I think his chemistry with Brandon Lee uh, was. I mean, again, you watch it. There's a couple of, like I say, Brandon Lee. Obviously, we'll never know what he could have gone to be. I mean, there was. He's the kind of person I could have seen him in the Matrix in the Keanu Reeves role had he lived. Mm. Kind of thing, but um, Michael Wincott's such a great villain in it. Oh, he's, I was he kind of like, really, why wasn't yeah. Michael Wincott the go-to bad guy in more '90s movies? Mm. So he sort of pops up in a couple of films but largely disappears and as the same with Ernie Hudson it's like why wasn't Ernie Hudson in more big tier movies yeah yeah absolutely so he sort of I know you know cinematically he didn't maybe make the greatest choices Congo and the like but I think well, with the right film top, he could have been very good you can't really top Ghostbusters can you really well no but even that he's hardly in it <laughs> yeah but, I mean, that's a different podcast, but that role, when it was supposed to be Eddie Murphy, once it wasn't Eddie Murphy anymore, it was drastically reduced mm. uh, to the point where it's pretty much a glorified cameo. But, I didn't know that was supposed to be Eddie Murphy. Yeah, that's when it was. I think that was when it was going to be John Belushi as well. Oh, OK. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, they just gradually reduced the role of Winston. John Belushi, which role? He would have been Finkman. Well, that, yeah, that was the original idea. Yeah, it's going to be a uh, Belushi-Ackroyd joint. But but yeah, it's um, yeah, like I say, that's a podcast for a different time. Kind of thing. Maybe around when Afterlife comes in. Mm. But um, yeah, so I mean, this I one thing that struck me is how quickly it gets into the actual film. Yeah. And how, I mean, I know it's there in the extended scenes, but there's very little detail into the killings of the gang members. Yeah, absolutely. It's all kind of um, suggested, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, T-Bird's probably the only one that you actually properly see. T-Bird and, um, uh, what's the tweaker? The last one he kills. Um, snap, not Snatch, Snitch, uh, Stank. Yeah, that's stank. it. Skank, yeah. Those are the only two you properly see. You don't see um, Fun Boy. You just well, see, you him see after. the car explode. No, that's um, T Bird. Oh, sorry, T Bird. Oh, I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You see, you see Fun Boy's body with all the things sticking out of it. Yeah, and the same with um. Oh shit! It's crap now. I've forgotten all the names of the the first what guy he kills. The guy with the all guy the, with the blades. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. see him with all the blades stuck in him. You think me? But yeah, I. Th- if I remember right, it's been a while since I've watched the deleted extended scenes, but you see more of, you actually see them being killed, if I remember rightly. Okay, yeah. But it, I don't know if that was a tonal choice after the fact of, um, you know, obviously with Brandon Lee dying, whether they wanted to tone down the violence 
a little bit, but I suppose sort of hitting on the Brandon Lee dying thing, that's kind of, I don't know if this film's more famous for that than... I think it is. I think it's now got some kind of myth about it, hasn't it? It's sort of yeah. got a bit of a, a legend about it now. Uh, Tintin, that's the guy with all the knives. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, it's, like I say, I think I'd only vaguely sort of heard of the film because of Brandon Lee dying. I remember that happening, yeah. being reported at the time. And um, not in the scenes everybody thinks it is either. Um, that, that he was killed. No, I've heard so many different variations. Well, yeah, because everybody always thought it was in the big gunfight when he comes to take, when he's in the big meeting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's what ev- where everybody thinks it was, but it wasn't then. Um, was, it on the, was it on the roof? No, it's actually when they invade, when he gets killed first time, oh, when they okay. do the home invasion. Yeah. It's actually in that bit because I know other people thought it was when he's um, fun boys in the bed. Yeah. And he shoots him then because it was um, Michael Massey who had the loaded gun. So he fired the shot. And um, which I think, you know, traumatized him as an actor and a person for a long yeah. time, as it would, because, you know, you kind of expect your safety guys to. Yeah, but. Yeah, so from the yeah, the most con- consistent thing I've seen is that it happens in that scene where Eric and um, Shelley are killed. Shelley's not killed then, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like I say, it's sort of I think because of the whole Bruce Lee thing as well, it adds a thing to it. But do you reckon? I mean, it's a difficult question to answer. Do you think the film would have caught on as much as it did? If had Brandon died, Lee no, lived. I don't know. I, you know what? I don't know. Um, I mean, I kind of think not. it would have got the cult following. Yeah. I think it would have been. Well, I don't think it would. Have, it wouldn't have been as well known. But I, I think you're quite right. I think there would be those people out there. It would definitely would still be a goth favourite. It's definitely one of those movies that would have, like, you know, got a reputation around the video shop or when it popped up on telly. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of discovering it that way, but. Brandon Lee's performance in it is, I mean, it's not necessarily the kind of film that you'd look at and be like, that's an amazing performance, but it is an amazing performance. Oh, yeah, it is. He's fantastic in it. And again, I think it potentially a little bit like Heath Ledger as the Joker, that you possibly heighten the performance up in your mind a little bit more, given the circumstances around it. But yeah, I can see a lot of Heath Ledger's Joker in Brandon Lee's performance in The Crow as well. Mm. There's little touches of it i mean again painted face that sort of thing longish coat but it, it reminds me a little bit of that as well and again i think possibly there's that certain vulnerability as well that they both got yeah you know that kind of yeah that, that kind of doing things they don't particularly want to do maybe it's difficult with how you would have looked at the performance had things turned out differently kind of thing it's but i mean i i don't know you can't help but think that brandon Lee would have gone on to bigger things based on that shit at talking about when people die <laughs> anybody who's listened to the regular <laughs> pod whenever we've tried to do a <laughs> yeah. in memoriam kind of thing oh, fuck is this now? hey piss off we're closed Toronto go sleep it off somewhere else dust head unless you want to get mutilated 
damn creatures in the night. They never learn. heard a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. What are you talking about? You heard me rapping, right? You're trespassing. And you owe me a fucking new door. I'm looking for something in an engagement ring. Yeah. Gold. You're looking for a coroner. Shit for brains. Shit on me! Shit on me! Mr. Gideon, who? You're not paying attention. I repeat, a gold engagement ring. Yes. It was pawned here a year ago by a customer of yours named Tintin. He confided in me before he ran out of breath. One thing that struck me sort of with going through doing all these films, having watched them all, is that it, much like Dick Tracy, it creates its own comic book world. It's sort of somewhere between the comic book page and reality. Um, Obviously with Dick Tracy, it was bright and colourful, whereas this one is quite devoid of colour. It's very much leans into the blacks, greys and whites kind of thing. The flashes of colour you get tend to be either the um, flowers that are left on Shelley and Eric's grave or um, Micah's red lipstick kind of thing. There's very little. Yeah. Which again, I, not quite sin. Yeah, not quite sin city-ish, but yeah, absolutely. It's which is very in keeping with the comic on the page. There's yeah. quite a good interview with. Um, James O'Barr, where he was talking about it at one point when they were developing it, it was suggested that Michael Jackson played the crow and Julian Temple direct the film. And he was I like, why yeah. the fuck did you bother buying the comic if you yeah. don't stick to the source material? Um, Michael Jackson playing the crow. It's one of those things. That it sounds so fucking weird that you can picture it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it would not have worked at all, but you can kind of... But, it's a bit like when they used to pitch the Red Dwarf movie, wasn't it? And they wanted like Emma Thompson and Hugh Grant, and yeah. it's like that's not Red Dwarf. <laughs> it's just such a bizarre thing. But um, like getting Tom Cruise to play Jack Reacher. It, yeah, I don't mind that. Oh, I he's not he's not Reacher <laughs> of the books, but I, yeah, I, I thought he was good on the page. But and you know. As we saw from later crow films, they seem to just pick random people. Oh yeah, who was the crow in Never Movies? It was um, Vincent Perez in the second one, Eric Maybus in the third one, and then Edward Furlong. He of John Connor really? fame in John Wicked Connor, Prayer. Yeah. I never knew that. I've I've seen City of Angels and Salvation. Salvation's all right. It's a shit. If you watch it as like a straight to sci-fi channel kind of movie, it's perfectly fine. It's not The Crow. It's nowhere near as good. Um, But at least it tries to do something a bit different. But um, Wicked Prayer, I've only ever watched the trailer for and thought, that looks shit. Because Edward Furlong looks about 14 years old. Yeah. Like he's just a 14-year-old rebelling against his parents. 
I'm goth yeah. next. So he's, he's basically John John Connor. Yeah, he's a little bit like Noel Fielding in um the IT crowd. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which would have been a better crow probably than is in that film. <laughs> but yeah, this film I always remember it being more violent than it was. Like I say, the stuff in the extended scenes, but it's surprisingly doesn't show a lot possibly the most violent stuff is when top dollar kills the pawn shop owner oh yeah absolutely when he sticks to the the, the sword through his throat yeah and there's the bits but yeah i suppose there's a lot of it, it is all suggestive isn't it because i was going to say about um the sister cutting the eyes out but again you don't see it yeah it's um so suggested that see that's one of those ones that i always remember being worse than it actually was it's like in my head I remember the thing going into the eye socket which never yeah. happens yeah. and isn't even in the extended stuff so I think that's just my brain filling in the blanks kind of thing yeah absolutely is but, um, and it probably is better for it as well it makes it a better movie the fact that you don't see all the actual I think it would have been quite cheap if they actually yeah. you know, dwelled on the gore of it because that's not what the film's about either I mean, um, uh, James O'Barr always said that it was a love story and if you watch it from that angle, it very much is. Mm, absolutely. Uh, I say the stuff between... right to the end, the way that he kills Top Dollar. Uh, no, it's not Top. Who does he kill in the end? No, it is Top. Top, top, top Dollar's the last bad. one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, by but spoiler alert, by um, giving you know, oh, this is the pain of thirty hours, whatever it was. You know, so he's passed that on, and then he can relax, kind of thing. So yes, it, yeah, it, I do love that story. And I want to give you something. I yeah. don't need it anymore. Yeah, I don't want it anymore. Yeah. It's um. Uh, it's um. Like I say it's. The dialogue's wonderful as well. I love the. I think a lot of it comes from the comics. Just the uh, you know, I heard a tapping at the door. Yeah. And all that sort of. Chamber door. Yeah. Sort of the lyrical poetry of the dialogue. Again, it's very in keeping with the kind of film. And again, you can see mm. why goths and certain kinds of people and why sort of us in our late teens early 20s sort of related to it a bit more because it's very much that broody angst yeah very much so kind of thing that would appeal to broody angsty teenagers that are neither broody nor angsty but <laughs> yeah. think they are whereas actually they just got like <laughs> dicks <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was me say so i never got the long leather coat i had the poster of the crow of him sitting in the chair yeah up on my wall and um i had the book of poetry and short stories i think you had as well yeah i did yeah yeah because i think i sent you the money so you could pick it up because it was in the comic shop when you were lived in derby oh yeah yeah so i got you to get me one as well and yeah that's cool it's weird like you say you used to watch the film all the time do you think it's something you'd go back to like that or no i don't think so however I think I will listen to the soundtrack a bit a bit more often nowadays because I mean I also love the soundtrack that had that was a real big um, uh, it was the theme tune to a lot of my kind of teenage years and it is great I mean I discovered so many bands through that you know like Stone Temple Pilots What's that? Um, the, so I think Burned by the Cures yeah a huge favorite of mine the score's great as well I've got it on um, they're finally re-releasing the score 
okay. So I've got that on pre-order as well because I love the score. That um, sort of melancholic love theme that plays at the end when he dies and it's got quite a nice sad but lovely sound to it. Yes. I think it's one of those sort of overlooked comic book movie scores. No, I think so too. Absolutely. Because around that time it was all Jerry Goldsmith or Danny Elfman kind of bombastic hero thing. Because this is a very different comic book movie to what we were used to. Mm. I mean, yes, you have Batman, but Batman was still a dude in a rubber suit and a cape. Yeah. Whereas this is very, I don't know, probably the closest thing it'd be to is the Punisher, but more fantastical and weirdly less ridiculous. Mm. There's something very grounded about this film. It's a guy who comes back from the dead. Yeah, again, it's to do with the the, the grunginess about it, and just you know, I mean, he's not. It's like he's he's not got some fantastic costume. He's literally just gaffetaped himself up. Yeah. You know, and uh, put a little bit of makeup on and everything. Um, Yeah, there is something very grounded about it. I mean, the the coat is very, you know, the 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 big long leather coat that he's got, his cape, if you like. You know, he he steals off his first victim. Yeah. So you know, you know where. Yeah, you know where he gets everything, you know? Ah! Ah! Hell, that thing get in here. Ah! Gentlemen! Ah! Suppose you're wondering why I've called you all here today. <laughs> you know, friend, if there's one thing I can't stand, it's a party crasher. So you're him, huh? The Avenger. The killer of killers. Nice outfit. Not sure about his face, though. I just want him. Well, you can't have him. Well. I see you have made your decision. Now let's see you enforce it. Oh, this is already boring the shit out of me. Kill him! Ooh, that hurt. <laughs> well, that? I've not read the comic in years. You recently bought it me for my birthday. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. Um, You're welcome. But do you remember much about the comic or? Um, I remember. I, I remember. I've I read it for about three or four times in like a space of a week. Um, because uh, I can't really remember that much about it. I know, like the circumstance. There's no Devil's Night. It's uh. the circumstance of their deaths is different, isn't it? They're attacked by a gang on the street rather than a home invasion okay. yeah. kind of thing. I think a lot of the beats are the same. Um, I think it's that perfect example of taking the source material and sort of doing your own thing with it. Yeah. Um, a bit like the Rocketeer and that is faithful to the comic, but different enough that it's its own thing, which I think is kind of what you want to do with a comic book movie. Because if you're a fan of the thing on the page, it's never going to live up to it. So you might as well. Mm. Plus, you've read it on the page. You don't really need to see it acted out kind of thing. Yeah. But um, 
I'm just going to go back to the soundtrack a minute. I'll remind myself what exactly is on there. Um, so let's have a look. Yeah, I presume it's on here. I remember a girlfriend I had at the time writing me a like it wasn't like a love letter. It was just she like wrote me a note and it was the if someone we love is stolen from us thing. And I was like, I know mm. that. Why do I know that? <laughs> but I was just like, oh, she's written something really nice. It's weirdly familiar. And then I watched the crow and I'm like, you fucking fuck, you stole it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, look, you got the cure, Stone Temple Pilots, Nine Inch Nails, Red Against the Machine, Pantera, Henry Rollins, Jesus and Mary Chain. I mean, it's a great album. Yeah. Yeah, I, like I say, I, I bought a copy. I think I used to borrow your copy a lot, and then I bought my own. I think I borrowed yours and copied it, and then finally bought my own copy. Um, it is a great soundtrack. It's very much of its time, but it holds up. Mm. Um, it's one of those captures the moment in time kind of thing. Yeah. For me, but... um. Yeah, sort of what sort of bits really stand out for you, either from the first time watching it that, you know, made you fall in love with the film so much? I remember loving the bit, the tiny bit where he goes back to the the, the, on the, dot, the loft the, the, where they killed him. And, he you know, he jumps at the window and he kind of grabs it, then kind of comes back. Yeah. And he's cutting all his hands open and then all his hands just heal in front of him. I've always liked that bit. Yeah, he sort of physically relives his death, doesn't he? That's it, yeah. Um, um, th- that little snippet I've always really liked. And like the bit where he kills uh, Tintin right at the beginning, the yeah. way that, you know, he gets the knife chucked at him, which he just kind of whacks away. And then he chucks the knife and follows the knife behind, if that makes sense. So suddenly yeah. he's there. I've always liked that bit. So I've, I've always thought that's really, really cool. Yeah, it's a really nice edit in that. Mm. But, um yeah, victims, aren't we all? Um, yeah. I mean, I've always kind of liked those. Possibly makes me slightly sound like a sociopath, but those, you know, victim getting revenge type movies. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, that always appealed on that. Even the second one appealed on that level, being like, yeah, they killed your son. You fucked that fucker up. But, um, which Iggy Pop, who's in the second one, was originally meant to be fun boy in this one. Oh, OK. But, um. I can't remember the reasons why he didn't do it. But, um, yeah, so that would have been different. Who knows how it might have turned out had it been Iggy Pop instead of Michael Massey, yeah. given what happened. Okay, yeah. yeah, I loved the whole, like I say, I loved the chemistry between, certainly uh, possibly more this with rewatching it, because I've watched it twice this year now because of just wanting to refresh it again before we recorded this. I loved yeah. the chemistry between him and Ernie Hudson. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great. I love the Ernie Hudson character. I'd watch, happily watch an entire film about his character, just doing cop stuff. Yeah. Um, just his relationship with the girl that gets the uh, policewoman that gets him the file in the office, and you know, the captain yeah. who's your uh, or detective or wherever he is who's his boss, who's basically your uh, stereotypical in charge of the police force with a stick up his ass kind of. Yeah, yeah, Lee, but yeah, absolutely kind of cop but um i say i think being the age i was just the whole dressed all in black long coat Mm. angsty goth thing appealed it's a wonderful character design the look of that character Uh, Uh, of the actual crow of of the actual crow yeah yeah 
I mean, you can see why it caught on. You can see why every Halloween party has at least one crow. It's just so simple, though, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, so, so very Alice Cooper. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of where it was taken from, wasn't it? It's sort of the inspiration for it. It's, I mean, it makes sense in this film, and they kind of shoehorn it into the other films. I think because Sarah's in the second film. Oh, yeah, she's grown up, isn't she? Yeah, um, she sort of it, paints him. Take, like take it, it's not the same actress. No, it's a different actress. Yeah, and then in the third one, when he's put in the electric chair, it like catches fire and that burns the crow makeup on his scars. Oh, okay. And then I don't know how it comes about in the Wicked Prayer because I just could never bring myself to watch it. Did you ever see yeah. any of the TV series? No, I don't think so. It might no. be something that I kind of tried to watch one late one night if it was on, but it was nothing yeah. I really followed up. No, all the promo things I ever saw for it seemed to be happening in daytime, and I was kind of like, no, that's not, just doesn't feel right. But was it as bad as making Robocop cry? Well, prime directives. Yeah. Sort of on the sequels, and I usually end on the sequels, but while we're sort of bringing it up, I know the film did have sequels, but do you think it needed sequels? I even if, so. no, even if Brandon Lee had lived, do you think... Yeah. Because I, I don't know where... You, I mean, you couldn't go anywhere next with Eric Draven, could you? It's like, always oh, come back to... Avenge. You'd have to kill Sarah, and then he'd come back and avenge that, but even that's a stretch. Yeah, I mean, I know they did other stories with other crows in the comics. Yeah. It's all largely repeating the same beats. Vari- or, yeah, you know, variations on the same theme kind of thing. Um, so if they had done a sequel, or, you know, or then we know they did do a sequel, but, you know, if you could have picked what you'd like to see in the sequel what sort of thing would you have liked to have seen um okay um i think it would need to be the same superhero wouldn't it would need still need to be eric draven yeah Um, but like eric comes back and plays in his band (laughs) actually that would be the it's a bit like death in bill and ted's bogus journey yeah they need to win a battle of the bands and they need eric back for it Uh, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I mean, it is such a standalone movie, you know, and it kind of it kind of completes itself, you know. Yeah, it's a lot like the Robocop thing, isn't it? It's that Robocop completes his journey by the end of that film. But Robocop 2 was good. Yeah, I mean, it was great. It was a good film. There are people who like the Crow sequels, not as much as the Crow, but <laughs> yeah. will defend. City of Angels has got its defenders. I was just curious. It's the kind of thing you think about sometimes is what you do yeah. with the sequel. But I what just, did you do with it then? I really don't know, because like I say, it's you'd have to have a different, it'd have to be a different character. Mm. But then you fall into the trap that all the sequels have fallen into. Of It's just repeating the same beats, even if you do a variation on the actual thing he, that he's come back to avenge. Yeah. Like I say, the third one was kind of interesting, and at least it changed it to, I mean, it was still his girlfriend being murdered. Mm. But it was, you know, he wasn't killed as part of it. He was a... Uh, blamed for the crime and then electrocuted for it you know you know electric chair job it's a bit like the terminator films after a while you're just exactly the same beats yeah terminator comes back to kill john connor or sarah connor or some unrelated character that actually turns out was important or (laughs) kind of thing it's like you can do it and have fun with it but at the same time you're not adding anything to the mythos um i know there were some comics that were like one was a teacher that her class was I'm maybe misremembering it and I think this was one somebody told me not to read because they know about my thing involving kids 
that it was a teacher whose the class was killed in like a terrorist attack. But yeah, and she came back as the crow because I think it ends with she's got the people responsible, but then all the school kids come back as ghosts and they fucking kill them all. Shit, man. So that she's sort of clean a bit. Um, like I said, that might not be it. That, that was how it was described to me with a, uh, yeah, don't read this one because, you know, you don't like that sort of stuff. But I will tell you all about <laughs> it. Like, cool, thanks. That'll play over in my head even different. But I, th- I think as well, given sort of what did happen with Brandon Lee dying, it just seems a little bit, I mean, it was only, they only made a sequel because the Weinsteins were involved and you know what they're like for fucking sniffing out money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they were the ones who insisted on a sequel, and then when they, because I believe the idea for City of Angels was different, had a darker ending and that, and then they came in and said that they had to reshoot and recut it to be more like the original, Mm. which is why the director and the writer of that one both disowned it, which, fair enough. It's kind of like, I don't know, I suppose if you've got the if it ain't, ain't broke, don't fix it kind of mentality but at the same time it's but i think like i say as well there was just a certain magic to the performance in these films that yeah in this film that wasn't recaptured in the sequel the sequels are very much definitely more in the uh i think they upped the violence in the second one yeah like i say it's been a long time since i've seen it I, every time i think about rewatching it plays over in my brain the whole bit where they kill him and his son and i'm like no just don't need that kind of misery um and um but yeah and then like they're just so i know you didn't see that much humor in this one but they're so devoid of humor in the follow-ups yeah oh bet yeah Uh, like i say at least this one had moments of even if it wasn't out and out humor it had moments of lightness um i love the way brandon lee when Tony Todd's character comes in and sees him and he just disappears out of the window. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Just that sort of... Um, I, said, I love the scene you said as well, where the um, transforms into the... For want of a better term, transforms into the crow. Sort of suits up and does the makeup. Mm. Uh, which that's I don't it. think is Brandon Lee in that. I think that's stuff they shot after. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. From sort of, again, little bits and pieces I've managed to piece together from commentaries and interviews and the like so um, how long did it take from the accident for with when he died to them finishing the movie i don't know i think a lot of it was done i think it was largely pickups i think anything where you don't see the crow's face yeah because i think because in that scene it's all in silhouette so you don't actually see the crow you only see him in mirror reflection which is broken i think they just computer generated his face onto it okay but yeah i mean they had to have been pretty much complete otherwise i don't know it's how do you carry on otherwise kind of thing it's, i don't know whether they deliberately left all the dangerous stuff till towards the end i suppose you would it's a bit like um to live and die in la they shot the uh, reverse car chase last mm. <laughs> just in case anything went wrong they at least had the actors yeah. in the back kind of thing yeah there's quite a good interview with michael massey where he talks about it and i say good obviously it's bleak as fuck because um, you know you've got Brandon Lee who died and you've got this guy who, even though it wasn't his fault feels responsible yeah because um, 
and you know it was it was ruled an accident but it was negligence they'd sent the firearms expert home so the person the props guy who in charge didn't know how to check the gun oh okay so while it had a blank in it it was still a bit of a projectile in the um barrel yeah so the force of the blank the gunpowder hitting the blank then sent the projectile out with the force of it being a natural bullet and it hit him okay. in the chest yeah which you know like um people have said making films is dangerous people don't realize how dangerous it is but you still don't expect i mean you guarantee that shit won't happen now i mean it's not the only film that people have died on through accidents you've got the whole fucking twilight zone the movie thing haven't you with the helicopter that killed an actor and two kids oh really i didn't know that yeah it, um that was a whole fuck up it's interesting to read about but anyway well i say interesting in a macabre sort of way but just as a piece of film history i wonder if they would have franchised it with brandon lee had it i mean obviously they tried to i just i couldn't see him coming back even as an actor i couldn't see him making that choice yeah. obviously i don't i don't know him it's certainly not like a batman or a unlike the other films that we sort of discussed in this series this is definitely a film that didn't lend itself to a franchise it's very yeah. much a yeah, one and course. done kind of movie um, yeah. um i do love the production design on it it's it's got that yeah, stunning again to sort of go back to the dick tracy thing it looks like it's done on a set but in the best possible way mm. like i say it sort of gives you that comic book feel but with a element of reality to it that works really nicely yeah like i say it's got great villains i like michael wincott anyway i liked him in um robin and prince of thieves and the various other things i've seen him in generally as a villain alien resurrection mm. and the like i think oh, alien yeah, resurrection is like one of the few things where he's not an out and out villain yeah oh he's a scientist guy wasn't he well he was the captain of the ship oh yeah sorry of course he was yeah yeah the one who has that weird death scene where they're trying to escape and then he suddenly just starts going around picking up guns off the floor because you would mm. <laughs> so that's yeah. such a fucking bizarre death that's a again that's a podcast for a different time that film that's a fucking hot mess <laughs> <laughs> My daddy used to say, every man's got a devil, and you can't rest till you find him. What happened back there with you and your girlfriend? I cleared that building. Hell, nothing in this town happens without my say-so. So I'm sorry if I spoiled your wedding plans there, friend. But if it's any consolation to you, you have put a smile on my face. You got a lot of spirits, son. I am going to miss you. I have something to give you. I don't want it anymore. It sort of came at a weird time as well, because sort of the dark, gothy comic book movies had sort of passed. Batman Returns didn't do the business they hoped it would. Everything solid seemed to be leaning more towards where Batman Forever and Batman Robin ended up. Or Batman and Robin took it too far. But again, I don't overly think they were selling it as a comic book movie. Hmm. But then they never really sold Batman as a comic book movie, did it? It's very much a printed in magazines by DC Comics. <laughs> magazines. Why can't we call them comics? I did really enjoy this. Again, I don't think it's one I could watch. Yeah. Repeatedly. It is a bit. No, I think it would make you bloody suicidal. It's oddly optimistic, though. Well, not optimistic, but it does have a 
for want of a better term, happy ending. Yeah, well, he he wins. He he wins. Um, I mean, he pretty <clears> much <throat> causes Top Dollar to kill himself rather than he him killing Top Dollar. Yeah. So he's, yeah, he does. Yeah, he's he's kind of clean on that front. He's back with Shelley at the end. You get. Yeah, well, that scene where he's dying at the grave is wonderfully acted. Yeah, I know we talk about it and keep talking about how good he was in it. Um, but I mean, I think even Roger Ebert, when they reviewed it on the TV show, was saying about you know it tell, gives you an indication of the kind of star Brandon Lee could have been. Yeah, thing. but it's just it's not overplayed. In a lesser hands, it could have been a very hammy sort of death. I'm not yeah. talking like your full one kind of dying, but it could have very easily been hammed up kind of thing. I think they both play that beautifully. I think you kind of get the thing with Sarah and her mum. So you get the feeling that's going to be all right. You get the feeling that Ernie Hudson's going to be all right. Yeah. Despite being shot. I was generally worried that they killed him. Yeah. <laughs> First time I watched it, I remember that was because obviously, you know, I was still well into Ghostbusters at that time. I was like, you better not kill fucking Winston, you bastards. <laughs> then he pretty much gets shot in the chest. You're like, oh, fuck. But Tony Todd's great in this film as well. It's, it's only a small part, but... Who's Tony Todd play? He's like his um, right-hand man. The one who's firing the sniper oh, rifle in the church. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, he's awesome in it. Uh, and I do like the death of um, Iker. Where the crow just pretty much pecks her eyes. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, is kind of foreshadowed all the way through. But, but um, I love the scene in the pawn shop as well. Uh, that's awesome. I do as well. Uh, just where he's looking through for the ring and that sort of thing. And he's closing his eyes, cross-legged on the floor, and just feeling the rings. Yeah. And, um,. I love it when he goes into the board meeting where he uh, just jumps up and sits cross-legged on the table as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And I love Michael Wincott saying, like, oh, I'm bored now. Waste him. <laughs> yeah. Kind of thing. Um, it's, like I said, that's probably the most violent scene in the film. Mm. Certainly for squibs. And you can see why people thought that was the scene where he died. Mm. Or, you know, shot in real life. But... Um, I love the shot of him as well, just sort of up on the fire ladder. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Really it's, atmospheric. It's kind of like the um, front cover of the Dark Knight Returns, where it's Batman on the cables. Yeah. The phone cables. Sort of got that iconic comic book look. Um, just the idea of the crow as well. You know, the actual bird. It's a very nice symbol get some very yeah, cool it's a images very mythical it. thing isn't it yeah absolutely just it on his shoulder and that sort of thing and i love it when um fun boy and uh, sarah's mum's name i can't remember now um um starts with an l hang on. um is it no isn't it, isn't it d is it um or is it darla no, something like that darla darla yeah um yeah when they're high and she sees the bird she's like it's a fucking bird in here <laughs> I do love that with Funboy where he shoots him in the wow. leg. He's like, look what yeah. you've done to my sheets. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that whole stuff with Shelley. 
it's hard mm. to watch, but it could have been done a whole. I think in lesser hands, it could have been horrible. Yeah. Because they don't show a lot again. Oh, that, no. Oh yeah, the, the bit where he um. Yeah, where he's pinching her arm and all the drugs come out of it. Oh, oh Dala, yeah. Oh no, his Shelley, sorry. Oh, Dala. Shel- oh, sorry, yeah, Shelley, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the thing with Dala where he walks towards her and she's just sort of like waving the blade at him. Yeah, before she squeezes the. Uh, That's the one. Yeah, absolutely. Morphine out of her. That's a cool power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's that? My amazing line. Was it God is the is the uh, mother God is the, the word. Mother, mother is the mother name is of the, God on a child's lips. That's the one. Yeah. My favourite line has always been the Ernie Hudson one after the crow disappears, where he says, at least he didn't do any of that walking against the wind shit. I hate that. Yeah. Yeah. Which, my DVD copy, where that used to be... Remember when DVDs were dual layer? Yeah. That was the moment when it moved down to the next layer, so it always did it in the middle of that line. Good. So I was glad when I could get it on Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think you came round when we were watching the DVD. It was the, when I'd first got the DVD. You've watched it when we lived in the house in Abbey Mead. Mm. And we were like, oh, they fucked up the best fucking bit. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the, you know, we'll show these bad guys are fucked up by having them drinking or swallowing bullets. I know, yeah, but he's lengthways as well. It's like, that can't be good for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to give you heartburn, surely. <laughs> it's going to do nothing for your, indigest- for your uh, digestion. <laughs> and imagine passing them out the other end yeah well they suppose they all died shortly afterwards so. <laughs> they never got the chance to not massively an issue i suppose but yeah yeah this is the whole fire it up fire it up thing isn't it that's it there's a pub in every town that's got that group of assholes in it <laughs> yeah i know you i know you i knew i knew you i knew i knew you but you ain't you. You can't be you. We put you through the window. There ain't no coming back. This is the really real world. There ain't no coming back. We killed your dad. There ain't no coming back. There ain't no coming back. There ain't no coming back. The best the devil stood. I felt how awful goodness is. I felt how awful goodness is. They were on about rebooting this film for years. Because I think everybody from Tom Hiddleston to Luke Evans to um, Jason Momoa to Bradley Cooper has had their name attached at one point or another. Oh, can I just can I just make a, a bit of a rule on the podcast? You know, there's that whole um, hello to Jason Isaacs. Yeah. Whenever we whenever we name Luke Evans, can we yeah. call him Luke Luke fucking Evans, please? Okay. In honor in honor of my wife. Okay. Uh, because we went to a um, <laughs> brilliant story. We went to a gig. His last gig we went to. Uh, we went okay. I went. I took her to go see Michael Ball and Alfie Burn, If you must know. And they brought on. We were in Cardiff, and they brought on Luke Evans. And of course, if you can imagine the the, the um, um, the audience for a Michael Moore Laffy Bogey is basically full of old women. 
<laughs> and everyone, they brought this guy on because I would like to introduce our guest. And no one really recognised him straight away apart from Tal because Tal shouted out at the top of her voice, it's Luke fucking Evans. <laughs> and I swear, all of the old people just kind of looked at us. It was the funniest thing. <laughs> That's a bit like when I went on a date with my then girlfriend to see Notting Hill. Yeah. And um, Lorelai King plays like the assist, uh, Julia Roberts character's assistant in it. And just, I said louder than I meant to, I was like, it's fucking Lois Lane. Because she was Lois Lane on the Dirt Mags radio shows. <laughs> <laughs> and sort of people looked at me and I was like, uh... <laughs> you know, not sure why that relationship didn't work out in the long run. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, so Luke fucking Evans. Mm-hmm. Fucking Gaston. Yeah, Gaston, yeah. Um, yeah, he was attached to it at some point. So I just, I don't know how well a Crow film would play now. Yeah. Ignoring everything that's attached, the baggage that's attached to the 1994. It just, it's one of those films that feels like it's very much a piece of its time. Mm. Weirdly timeless as well. There's nothing about it other than this. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's because I get the nostalgias for like the music and the look and everything, but it doesn't feel. It's 90s, but it doesn't feel particularly dated, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. It's like a time capsule of that moment, but at the same time, that doesn't date it in the, the way certain. I think anything that doesn't have a huge amount of technology in it. Yeah. I think if he'd suddenly whipped out, like, you know, although uh, yeah, Sony Walkmans are cool again now. So. <laughs> but yeah, if he sort of whipped out some midnight, a mid-90s laptop, yeah, you'd be kind of like, ooh, yeah, that dates it. <laughs> or one of those really cool electric guitars that you've got Bill and Ted, you know, the ones with no headstock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or starts playing a, is it a, a guitar, whatever they're called. That's it. <laughs> perhaps that's what the reboot needs instead of him on the roof playing his guitar he's playing a guitar yeah guitar fantastic it's like a Jamie Cullum jazz riff <laughs> that's how you reboot the crow he was a jazz musician yep nice <laughs> he was brought back alive by the spirit of jazz <laughs> and he's played by John Thompson yep <laughs> nice <laughs> victims aren't we all nice <laughs> but the thing i saw about the reboot was that they were going to stay close to the you know honor and stay close to the original which is kind of like what's the point <laughs> but i think yeah again if the sequels proved anything it's that you don't need another crow movie yeah i don't think if you showed a modern audience it now they look at it and be like well that's shit isn't it because it's like 30 years old i, I don't think it suffers that problem I, I don't know what a reboot would add. Plus, no, absolutely. Yeah, Bradley Cooper's, Jason Momoa's, Luke fucking Evans, Tom Hiddleston's mm. are all too old, really. The Crow should be like, you know, somebody in their twenties. Mm. It's very much a young man, isn't it? It's mm. somebody taken way, way before their time, kind of thing, and still got a lot of. Yeah. yeah, that's not to say that any of those, if they died now, it wouldn't be well before their time, but it's just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. It's a love story about young love, isn't it? 
about where everything seems forever that feeling of you have all the time in the world to quote a bond thing which you get with so if you get to our age you're sort of suddenly more aware that everything's finite 20s to your 30s you're very much like you know i've got fucking years (laughs) and everything's gonna be amazing it was me expecting quite a nice upbeat uplifting um podcast but then again we're talking about the crow i was gonna say (laughs) about the crow (laughs) there's nothing i enjoy than a nice upbeat conversation about a uh a young man that was killed while his girlfriend was uh, raped and tortured before eventually dying <laughs> herself. Yeah. Upbeat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see my mistake. Yeah. <laughs> like I say, though, it is an oddly upbeat ending. Given that they're still dead. Yeah. He well, dies again. All the time, can it? Well, so they say. <laughs> Eric? <laughs> I wonder if they could fit that into song lyrics. <laughs> I used to love that song. Now yeah. it kind of grates on me a little bit. It's probably the one on the soundtrack that grates on me the most, just because it feels very fourteen-year-old. Well, it's not the same song, is it? Well, that's something that I kind of realised. It's not the same song, but they they play in the as in this not Eric Draven's song, is it? No. Because he, she plays it on the record player, uh, the one with the, the lyrics, can't read all the time. And then it's a completely different song that's on the album that has that lyric. That makes sense. Yeah. I wonder if they never actually properly recorded the, or whether that was all there was of the Eric Draven one. Yeah. They never got range to actually recording it for the soundtrack, possibly. Because it's a female that sings it on the soundtrack, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. I can't remember a name. It's, but... I mean, it's a completely different, yeah, as I said, a completely different song, not just a version. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice lyric that you can't rain all the time, and yeah. it's it's a nice song. It's just one of those songs that, with forty odd year old ears, you're just a little bit like, you know, this is a bit emo toy, isn't it? A bit on the nose, yeah. This is the kind of thing I can imagine sitting in a chair and moping for days, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Plays nicely over the end of the film. It's one of those songs that works nicely in the film, not so much in isolation on the soundtrack. Yeah. It's a bit like Bond themes. They sometimes play better in the film than they do when you hear them on the radio. Um, Again, what would you do for a soundtrack now as well? It's very much a key part of that film, I think. Yeah, very, very much so. It's one of the things that sort of the Weinsteins were very good at with films was putting a soundtrack together. They did it with Clerks yeah. as well. Um, again, I don't know how much Alex Proyas was involved in the soundtrack as well, but it's generally the Weinsteins that come in and put on a contemporary soundtrack for the time kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what sort of music you put on a Crow movie now. Um. I'd say like My Chemical Romance, but that's probably yeah. dated. Eh? I think that is, <laughs> Shows yeah. the last time I was around that sort of music. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know what is in the goth music at the moment. I haven't no. used goth music for ages. I haven't. I'm very much. I'm at that age now. I'm swinging back more to the songs that used to annoy me as a kid, but I'm actually as an adult. Mm. 
doesn't bother me so much, mainly because they take me back to that time. <laughs> and yeah, very much in the nostalgia period. Um, mm. Which again, sort of, is why this film probably played so well with me again as an adult. Um, nostalgia. Do you think you see it differently as an adult? Because obviously as yeah. an angsty sort of teen, early 20s, you in some ways it's yeah. very much this film was made for me <laughs> if yeah, i had a girlfriend and she do. was murdered this is totally what i'd do <laughs> um, yeah you do you absolutely do you, you know you, you look back at it and this is why i said there's absolutely no humor to it. it takes itself so seriously i never realized that before you know but it really yeah. does take it so seriously perhaps i need another 20 years before i <laughs> Um, like I say, I think, yeah, it definitely plays straight. There's no mm. Roger Mori one-liners or anything, but I do think there are moments of lightness in it. I think if there weren't those moments, like I say, Bernie Hudson at home in his pants and his T-shirt, but still with mm. his policeman hat on. Like I say, especially given what comes later in that same scene. Yeah. I think possibly because the heavy stuff is quite heavy, not in an overhand, heavy-handed kind of way. It's played perfectly for the film. Yeah. I think those moments of lightness do possibly don't feel as light as they possibly were intended to be. Mm. I think there's a elements of lightness in Brandon Lee's performance in the way he at times is having fun with it. Yeah. Um, certainly apart from the bits where he's... It's like when he arrives at the meeting, there's a lightness to his performance then before it all kicks off. Even with um, Fun Boy. Uh, there's a lightness to that as well um, it's only sort of once he realises he's not immortal anymore in the last battle with Top Dollar yeah. that it's sort of that lightness of kind of having fun with fucking with them I think that I do love that rooftop and rooftop fight it's very much it's probably the most over-the-top thing in the film, which sounds weird given what the film is about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just feels a little bit like, you know, we've got to get them up on a rooftop like fucking Batman. You know Batman where at the end of, they were up in a belfry? It's like, we've got to do that. I mean, it works within the context of the film. And obviously, you know, it's natural he would go back to his grave mm. when he thinks his job's done kind of thing. But at the same time, it does just feel a little bit like we need that sort of image of slate rooms <laughs> yeah it's going to be raining as well yeah so, lots of gargoyles ironically it can rain all the time <laughs> at least a big top dollar helicopter didn't come in to try and rescue him yeah absolutely yeah but i love the imagery as well of devil's night i think that's possibly what sort of reminded roger ebert of blade runner as well just like the random bursts of flames coming up around the city where obviously everything yeah yeah, yeah i can see that yeah it's one of those sort of it's a bit like the purge before the purge isn't it <laughs> i haven't seen the purge it's, it's all right you're not missing a lot well they're, they're fine if you catch them on telly i wouldn't seek them out yeah um again perfectly enjoyable nonsense but possibly take themselves way too seriously any sort of final thoughts you've got on it um no i was quite happy i was amazed that i didn't i couldn't find a copy anywhere i thought i had i don't even own it on dvd 
which really surprises me given how yeah it was kind of if there was a film i thought you'd have on video dvd blu-ray laser disc even though you never had a laser disc yeah it it was that i yeah i thought i was gonna have to get in my car and drive my copy rain so you could watch it (laughs) yeah but i managed to find a copy on trial somewhere thankfully which worked fine i know what you're getting for christmas (laughs) again it's not a film i'd rush out of area to watch again you know it's one of those films that I think when it gets in your head. Yeah. Like I said, I wa- even though I'd not watched it long ago, I was looking forward to watching it again for doing this. Yeah. I mean, it's that revenge fantasy, and it's very good in that genre of revenge fantasy movies kind of thing. Had you seen any of the sequels? Sort of before we. I know I th- we've talked. I think I'm pretty sure I, I own the second one. Um, but, <laughs> Don't so tell me you've got that one on DVD. <laughs> yeah probably but i can't really remember much to do with it no i've got two and three on blu-ray because they were like a fiver mm. i thought i remember enjoying the third one and hating the second one but you know it's cheaper to buy them that way than on their own kind yeah. of thing yeah, but yeah. i've never actually gone back and rewatched them because i did think about doing like a crow marathon kind of thing I don't think I'll ever bother with the fourth one. It just looks like a TV movie. Yeah. Which, given the third one, looks like a TV movie, is saying something. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and like I say, I never saw the TV series. And Beyond the original James O'Barr comic, I've never gone beyond that with the stories. Um, yeah. Would you recommend people go back and watch it again or watch it for the first time? No, no, I absolutely would. Um yeah, if you've never seen it, absolutely go and watch it because it is, I mean, it's a piece of proper 90s, isn't it? Yeah. It was 89 that came out? 94. Was it nine? Oh, was it 94? Was it? Well, yeah. it was 89 or something. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, it's a classic, you know, in that for that era. I mean, if you think about when you're on about grunge, it was, it's a very goth film, but that's, you know, it's when all the grunge kind of things really came out. And it is that very much of that grunge era, isn't it? Yeah, it's sort of when, certainly over here, Nirvana really kicked off, wasn't it? Around the 93, yeah. 94 mark. Um, I know, obviously, yeah. they'd been going for longer in America, and we were sort of late to grunge in this country, weren't we? Mm. Sort of, there was a brief, very brief period between late 80s, early 90s pop and Britpop, mm. where you had grunge. Which I suppose to us was like American Britpop, <laughs> for want of a better term. Yeah. It was that alternate indie music scene before uh, I think uh, most people chalked the end of Britpop up to Robbie Williams's Angels. I think that's when most people in Britpop were like, "We're done. Yeah, we're, it's yeah, all over. Here. This is the okay. future for people are going to buy." Um, but yeah, and this very much came out in that zeitgeist. And like I say, it had that mythos of you know this was the film that to say and callous about it this was the film that killed brandon lee mm. kind of thing which i think most people didn't know who the fuck brandon lee was or care who brandon lee was it was suddenly you had this apart from the fact he was bruce lee's son yeah you sort of had this almost it wasn't a snuff movie but it kind of had that snuff movie air around yeah. it yeah 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 like I said, I don't mean to disrespect randomly because obviously it is a tragedy and it is something that you feel every time you watch the film. I, I don't know whether you sort of still had that thing mm. where you're watching, you're like, 
he's so good it's such a fucking shame and you get a little bit like i say especially when he's dying at the end it's when it sort of really kind of hits you that i know he did actually fucking die yeah it's not so much like you get it a bit with um the dark knight as well where you're like Heathcliff is so good in this film and then you're like oh fuck he's dead Um, but yeah i think like i say so with the whole grunge thing, the whole goth thing sort of taking off and the Brandon Lee factor. Mm. I think this film very much caught the zeitgeist then at the right time. Like I say, I think even if he hadn't died, I, it quite possibly wouldn't have even got a cinematic release over here. It quite possibly would have just gone straight to video for us. Yeah. I could see it being that film, but like I say, I think it would have picked up a cult following a bit like Tremors did and those sort of films that, yeah. you catch on saturday night on bbc one or whatever or late night on bbc two or channel four back in the day and then you'd be in you're like, you've seen this fucking cult movie it's called aliens <laughs> in that way that when you're 14 or whatever like, you know, any movie you've never heard of is clearly some obscure thing yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. tremors then yeah absolutely um yeah it's not as much fun as tremors but... no <laughs> not at all um there's no giant worms in this one but yeah no i mean that's sort of it for the crow like i say i think i would definitely if people haven't watched it recommend people watch it and then picture michael jackson in it instead yeah or no don't do that the first time you watch it maybe on one of your rewatches <laughs> instead of him laughing off down the alley when it's tinted it's just like <laughs> <laughs> Uh, could you imagine that? If it wasn't for the Michael Jackson controversy, that's a funny or die sketch waiting to happen, isn't it? <laughs> uh, just Michael Jackson as a boogeyman type character. It is very much a reverse horror movie, isn't it? Yes, it is. A complete anti-hero, isn't it? It's, it's like if Michael Myers was the good guy. <laughs> or, you know, you saw it from Michael Myers' perspective where he's like, these kids are dicks, man. It's like, I've got to kill them all. So, yeah, we'd be with you. Police, don't move. I said, don't move. I thought the police always said freeze. Well, I am the police. And I said, don't move, Snow White. You move, you're dead. And I say, I'm dead. And I move. Now, one more step. I'm serious. Then shoot, if you will. Officer Albrecht. What are you, nuts? Walking into a gun? You high? You don't remember me. What are you talking about? How about Shelley? Do you remember Shelley Webster? Shelley Webster is dead, my friend. I want you to move over to the curb there. Come on, run nice and easy. Come on, move it! Don't wait here for backup. It's getting too friggin' weird for me. Oh, it gets better. Do you know someone named T-Bird? He had a friend who shouldn't have played with knives. Like the coat? You're the guy that murdered Tintin. He was already dead. He died a year ago, the moment he touched her. They're all dead. They just don't know it yet. Do it from there! Oh, great. Great. Guy shows up looking like a mime from hell and 
You lose him right out in the open. Well, at least he didn't do that. Walking against the wind, should I hate that? Normally, I end these with the uh, Pivo questions from inside the actor's studio, but you answered those when you're on the Robocop episode. Can I so, answer different questions? Uh, we can make up some random questions. All right, then. Go. Good news. They're making a movie of your life. Okay. Who is going to play you in it? He's, oh, shit, me. He's going to play me. Yeah. Um, Rick Moranis. Nice. Do you think you're the role that's going to bring him out of retirement? Absolutely. I'm a challenge. Okay. Uh, what kind of film is it going to be then? It's going to be. It's going to be. It's going to have something with a with an upbeat soundtrack and a kind of. It's going to be a little bit Mr. Beanie, I think. So um, we're swinging in the comedy, are we? I think so. Yeah, just kind of like a, like a, a, a drama, comedy drama. I think. Um, See, I was thinking you're brutally murdered because mm-hmm. somebody didn't like the colour you did in the commission you did for him. Yeah, so Rick Moranis is distraught by this because you've done a drawing for him and he loved it. He comes yeah. out of retirement, paints his face like like Zoot, <laughs> paints a visor onto his face and just hunts these people down and kills them. Oh, OK. Yeah. But I mean, sure, we can go for a comedy if you want. Um, um, okay, okay, no, I've got a better idea then. Can, can, how about go for horror? How about something in the vein of a child's play movie where, um, in my like, you know, I, I'm dying, so I create a, a like a actual toy of Zoot. Then as I die, I put my kind of my life source into this cuddly toy of Zoot, which goes around killing everybody. No, he wouldn't kill anyone, he's, maybe, he's not that. He goes around. No, I, I think he'd go around looking for doing graffiti everywhere. Yeah. Just looking for a canvas to draw on. Yeah. <laughs> but because he can't find a canvas, he's scribbling on walls. And the kid's getting told to off for scribbling on the walls. Yeah. And he's like, but it was my zoot doll. <laughs> and the mother's like, don't be so ridiculous. And then you, know, you draw Charles on the babysitter. Yeah. <laughs> you draw the babysitter like a French girl. <laughs> I like it. It's, yeah. it's child's play, but arty. Yeah. Uh, between right. Ted and Charles play. Right. Who's directing this movie? Uh, Tarantino. Nice. So, <laughs> I mean, you will be dropping the N-word, I imagine, a lot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's fine. Like <laughs> yeah. Awesome, awesome. Okay, um, who's doing the soundtrack? Um... Don't want to go. Uh, I don't want to go classically John Williams. Well, I mean, um, somebody's got to do the score, and then you've got to have songs as well. Okay, do you get? Well, okay. I want no. I want to, I, for the songs. I want a country and western vibe. So I, I kind of want a little bit of Dolly in there, to be honest. So Billy Ray Cyrus, got it. Billy Ray Cyrus, Dolly, um, that that kind of thing, you know. Who were the um, ones who did College at Rednecks? We can get the Rednecks out of retirement for you. Oh, my God, Cotton Eye Joe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah, let's get them out there. And just to properly yeah. piss you off, get JK on there, too. <laughs> oh, my good God, from fucking Jamaroquai. <laughs> um, yeah, this, this sounds like a winner, mate. All right, who is your leading lady? Or man, lady. you can go that way. 
Uh, no, I'm going to go leading lady and I'm going to go Melissa Joan Hart. I like it. Clarissa because explains it all. She really does. Yeah. And uh, we get it on as well. Awesome. Oh, well, Zoot gets on with her. Yeah. Zoot as played by Rick Moranis. Zoot, what? No, no. Zoot is the teddy bear. Rick Moranis plays the. Oh, plays um, you. Plays plays me because he's made this. He's like the like the the, the toy maker, if you like. I see. I see yeah. yes. There's going to be a little bit of a little bit of a shop of horrors vibe as well. Cool. Okay, so instead of um, instead, instead of, of Dorothy singing, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> instead of kind of singing, you know, suddenly Seymour or whatever it is, uh, they start singing nine to five. You know, and like a really nice kind of duet. Nice. So is Melissa Joan Hart playing your wife, or is this a she fictionalized plays, version of you? No, no, no. She she plays a, a lonely um, cleaner <laughs> kind of. She plays a lonely woman who needs some plumbing doing. <laughs> Basically, yeah. She feels sorry for, for Rick Moranis because he's taking the, the fall for all this graffitis done by the uh, demonic Zoot doll. <laughs> so, and she realises that he's only he's not to, to fault and he's getting all the blame. And she's doing all the cleaning. You see, she's cleaning all the graffiti off the walls. <laughs> it's writing itself, mate. It is. If this hasn't Absolutely. been greenlit by the time this episode comes out, I don't know what's going yeah. on. Yeah, and we need a title as well, mind. Well, that was going to be my last question as we're doing this on what the fly. What What would the title of your uh, movie be? Um, it can't rain all the time. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you can't draw all the time. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. You can't draw all the time. Yeah. Genius. Awesome. Uh, yeah. I'm going to send this to Melissa Joan Hart. Just I'm going to cut this bit out and send it to her. Yeah. You might get a Hallmark movie out of it at least. Yeah, definitely. Plus, you've got the merchandise in there with the uh, Zoot yeah. Factor. I've been working on oh, the Zoot Factor. That's a good good idea for a game show. Ooh. I'll... We'll CC Bradley Walsh in as well. <laughs> yes. he's, he's king he's of the game shows, isn't he? He is, isn't he? Or Stephen Mulholland. We know that you love Stephen Mulholland. I, I can't fucking stand the bloke. Sorry. He'll do anything for half, but... a twi- half a Twix. <laughs> is it your wife who also doesn't like him? No, she likes him. I don't like him. Oh, yeah. He's one of those ones that he was fine for like five minute segments on Saturday Night Takeaway or whatever. Yeah. But once they give him his whole his own whole fucking show, <laughs> I'm sure he's lovely. So let's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're not in the business of slagging off Stephen Mulholland. Um, no. We'll give him a cameo in your movie. Oh, he could play me. Yeah, fine. <laughs> awesome. Those questions work quite nicely, given that we did them on the fly. <laughs> Why can't we come up with this sort of inventive stuff on the regular pod? <laughs> I know, <laughs> absolutely true. Awesome. All right, then, so sort of to end it off, um, let's talk a little bit about you, what you got going on at the moment, anything exciting? Uh, no, I've got a few commissions uh, still going on. Um, I've um, 
So I can, I suppose I can tell you that's all over Instagram. Yeah, um, I've I've been picked up by a company in Chicago um, to do their character for uh, like their mascot character for their business, which basically they make practical effect machines. Um, they're called Master FX, and they're they're they're, they're pretty pretty decent out there actually. They're, they're, they've got quite a quite um. Got, got really good corner of the market. They do like a load of stuff for the WWF wrestlers and um, Alice Cooper, which is, I'm really, really happy about because I get to kind of, you know, it's a bit like my 10, my seven degrees to Kevin Bacon, you know. Um, I was it's going to be Drew Struzan and you. Yeah. Alice Cooper's go to artists. Absolutely is, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, so I'm currently doing, still doing some work for them. Um, so yeah, I created this character called Max and he is their mas- mascot. And I saw, is, is that the one that was in the picture where he set fire to yes, something? Yes, that's right. He, yeah, he set fire to a piece of machinery. That's um, right. Basically, he, um, he, the, the idea is he's just this, this robot that works in a warehouse. He likes getting into trouble and he's everything. He's just like a lovable rogue, if you like. And uh, so what they do is they, they give me photographs of the, the, whatever they're doing and then I paint him in to like as if he's actually there. A bit like... Um, who framed Roger Rabbit? That's actually how I pitched it. Yeah, I said we could do a Who framed Roger Rabbit, uh, and um, it's going really well at the moment. They keep me very busy. Awesome. Um, yeah, so I'm currently doing some Halloweeny for them. Cool. So if, I'm sure I'm, al- I'm allowed to post it all on Facebook, so on Instagram, sorry, so it'll be up there at some point. I was going to so say, is it all on, on your Instagram? It will be when I finish it. Yeah. Um, also. Um, uh, I've got another couple of jobs with another company called um, TV Paint, who they do, they create some software, uh, they're French, they create some animation software that apparently is very good, as in they got um, uh, a lot, they train a lot of the Disney artists on this piece of software, which is really cool. Um, but uh, they were interested in, bor- well, I say borrowing, hiring, if you like, Zoot as their mascot for a couple of pieces cool. and they're currently redoing their website so i've done a few zoot pieces for the website nice. and it's going to be on like for instance the customer service page and a few other pages so so that's incredibly exciting as well so, um, so not much going on then <laughs> no no not really a bit lazy at the moment you know awesome. so, yeah all good so if people want to check these out or you know, maybe yeah. fire over a commission request or whatever, or hire you to create their mascot. Um, yeah, of course. Where can people find you online? Uh, so I, I'm on Instagram as I think is it I am Zoot or something on there. I think so. Uh, I'll put all the links in the show out. notes, but I think if yeah. you search up I am Zoot, you come up. And then also my new my website is where I say new. It's not six months old now. That's still uh, new. Is, yeah, it's true. Uh, Actually, in the digital age, it probably isn't, but... (laughs) (laughs) I am zoot.co.uk as well, if you want to come on there, which I need to update as well. Yeah, and you've got the Facebook page and everything, haven't you? Yeah, it's it's all I am zoot. I'm sure if you type in I am zoot and see my logo, um, you'll find me. I'm all over the shop. I'm a media whore. Well, who isn't these days? You've got to be. Yeah, that's true. It's easily the worst part of being anything arty now, isn't it? Is you've got to promote yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that really is, mate. It really is. Um, but yeah, but no. So yeah, I'll put all the links in the show notes as usual. And um, 
people can find you through the um, hauntednerds.com website as well. There's a link to your website on that. So, but yeah, like I said, I'll put all the links in. And um, yeah, yeah, cheers for doing this. Like, no, thank you. Give me a reason to rewatch the crow. Well, that's something after all these years. Yeah, it's absolutely. it's quite nice dusting off an old movie I've watched for years. It is. It really is. It's, it's kind of slightly, um, um, yeah, relaxing and kind of familiar, isn't it? It's weird as well, especially when it's films that you used to watch like at least once a week, if not more often. Mm. Sort of go back to them because there's always that slight trepidation of I used to love this film. What if it doesn't hold up? And, uh, I'm I'm glad in this case it did. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. very very quickly. I know we're about to finish. I'll tell you another film, old movie that of one of my favourites. I watched again recently. Yep. Top Secret. I love Top Secret. Oh my god, I've forgotten how funny it is. There's so many. The whole bit with the train. Yeah, absolutely. And my favourite joke on the whole thing is when they're in the restaurant, and uh, she said, "Oh, I know a little German. He's <laughs> over there." just fantastic it's easily my favorite joke of the whole thing it's when he's chalking up how long he's been in prison or the lines on the thing yeah. when he's in That's prison it. <laughs> it's minutes yeah it's fucking great uh i'm gonna have to watch top secret again brilliant film awesome well, cheers for that no problem uh, yeah i'm sure hopefully we'll uh be back with a we'll have to pick out some times and get a nerds one again when your schedule frees up a bit and sure and the like but awesome yeah cheers for that uh, are we are we off are we, are we off now or are we we're, we're ending this and then we'll talk for a bit oh, yeah. we're doing oh, the fake doing the fake goodbyes oh i see the fake goodbyes i did wonder <laughs> goodbye Stuart. bye andy speak soon Good, goodbye scarecrow you are my favorite <laughs> You had a heart all along, Tin Man. Thanks. If the people we love are stolen from us, the way to have them live on to never stop loving them. Buildings burn, people die, but real love is forever. And that was The Crow, and that brings this little mini-series to a close. Uh, I'd like to thank Andy for joining me for this episode, and to all the other guests who joined me on the previous episodes. Uh, I'd also like to thank all of you who have listened, whether it's just to the one episode, or all six, or whatever. Uh, appreciate you listening, thank you. Uh, you can find all the links in the show notes if you want to check out Andy's work, uh, or more of what we do as nerds. Um, yeah, and... Yeah, like I say, that's it for our 90s comic book movies mini-series, uh, so for now. But um, there's always the potential we could do more with the likes of Judge Dredd, Tank Girl, Spawn, Mystery Men, The Mask, Men in Black, and more out there. Uh, we may return down the line if you'd like us to. Or if not, we don't care. If we want to come back, we'll come back. Um, until then, though, and why not, we'll return with our usual random selection of movies on... I'm hoping to get up to like a two-week release schedule um yeah just going to depend on guests and movies and the like so yeah we will see where it goes uh and of course andy and i will return with more haunted nerds soon so consider yourself pre-warned and uh 
take heed and keep your eyes peeled uh, for more of that soon. Um, but until then, it only seems fitting in this case uh, to leave this episode with these words from Brandon Lee. Because we do not know when we will die, we get to think of life as an inexhaustible well. And yet everything happens only a certain number of times, and a very small number, really. How many more times will you remember a certain afternoon of your childhood, an afternoon that is so deeply a part of your being that you can't even conceive of your life without it, perhaps four or five times more, perhaps not even that? How many more times will you watch the full moon rise, perhaps 20, and yet it all seems limitless? 